Hi guys, welcome back to another episode of the podcast. Today's episode features the lovely Rihanna Adams. She's a longtime friend of mine and I'm so excited that she wants to talk to me on this podcast. So yeah, let's just get straight into the episode. so bad i have a pimple on my face sorry that took so long i like broke it's okay like, it's oh. fine it's fine i think it's like really hard because like mental mental health is like such a big issue but people don't actually understand like what it is and i think people put a label on it as if it's like something that's like bad and unhealthy and i think that's really like upsetting for people who actually have dealt with it. I think especially growing up in Asia, and this is just from my own experience, it's like mental health becomes this kind of blanket term just to deal with any kind of emotional thing, which is true. Yeah. But it's like mental health doesn't refer to just one thing. And I think that's what the misconception It's like, there's this misconception that everyone who struggles with mental health, like everyone's depressed or anxious. Yeah. And I think that there's this desire or this like need to com- like compartmentalize people and their feelings because we want to be able to understand them more, but it's not just, it's not that simple. Mm-hmm. And I think with mental health, it's a lot about going beyond what you know. Cause growing up in Asia, it's just like a cultural thing. Like you don't, in our culture, we don't really talk about mental health. Mm-hmm. By no fault of anyone, but it's just, yeah. you know, culturally, it's just not there. It's just not a conversation that has been present. Yeah. But I think the times are shifting. I would hope so. Yeah. I, I think, know. like, what you're referring to is, like, when people use it, like, so casually when they like when they're saying stuff like i'm so depressed right now but like are you really like do you actually understand what the word means like do you actually understand what that is really and i think it's so hard for people to like misconceive what it actually is and i think there are certain because like we watch shows and like movies that like highlight these issues but people Mm. take that and try and replicate that in their own life when they actually don't understand like what is going on and if they really need help and they if they really need to talk to someone they should definitely do that if you get what I mean yeah no I agree I think it's um the way I've kind of always and like a not <laughs> I've used this analogy for mental health quite a bit sorry if my brain like short-circuited there but it's like mental illness and mental health it's very vast like it's a category you know so when people say that i'm depressed or i'm anxious and they may not understand what having depression or having anxiety is like but they've experienced in that moment in time an emotion so intense that they think they liken it to depression or anxiety or whatever but it's when people use things like oh i feel so bipolar today or i feel so ocd today or i feel so borderline Mm -hmm. today it's like those 
aren't emotions. So feeling depressed, feeling anxious, feeling sad, like those are feelings. And when you feel them in that moment in time, they're valid, you know? Yeah. The things like personality disorders, mood disorders are states of mind or they're ongoing. And like yeah. anything, it varies from person to person. Like there are some people who go through depressions that last months or years or yeah. in many cases, several years. Mm-hmm. But it's, I think it's easy for people, especially with people who don't maybe have kind of a full background knowledge on mental health to take these kind of terms mm-hmm. and use it for their own and maybe in ways that aren't as accurate, you know? Yeah. Like, I think being able, like, saying things like, oh, I'm so depressed or I'm so OCD when you're just, you like cleaning, it trivializes mm-hmm. like the ongoing mental illnesses. So it's like, oh, they're not just depressed. They're, like, they're not depressed, they're sad. Mm-hmm. But it's, depression is more like a state or kind of a time, you know, at least for me. Like a period, not really yeah. like an emotion and something that you use as an like as something that you're like going through and if like you're experiencing different feelings then you should be more like I guess um transparent with that rather than using something that serious and something that's like like an ongoing issue as a word or a label to like put yourself but I think also in that kind of same notion is that I've been kind of victim not victim but I've been part of kind of this discourse where it was easier to self-diagnose than it was to actually get professional help so I spent a lot of time on Tumblr as a kid so when I was like 13 like 12 Mm -hmm. even I was spending a lot of time on Tumblr and it was very toxic and it was not only toxic, I think I was so young, I didn't really know what these things were. And I would see people, you know, posting self-harm or posting things about eating disorders or depression. And it's like, my brain was small and still developing. Mm -hmm. And I was, you know, also being bullied and I had other stuff going on. And I eventually became really I was always just a really anxious kid, but I think when I became a depressed and anxious kid, that was when I just, my quality of life was not there. I guess everything was like better. But it was because I'd been on Tumblr so much, I thought this was normal. So I never thought I'd like Mm -hmm. get help. Like of all the like pretty 16 year olds on Tumblr are depressed, Mm -hmm. like I should be too. And it became like that to the point where I was just like, oh shit, now I'm actually depressed, so. Yeah, I think it's, like, really hard because, like, when you're going through something, you don't really understand, like, the notion of what you're going through. You don't know how to comprehend how you feel. And it's hard to, like, be very, like, open and, like, very, like, transparent and, like, have an honest conversation with even your parents because I think it's, like, it's not like a you don't want to disappoint them but you just don't want them to feel upset and to see you in the state that you are in currently and I think that's what I found really hard when I was like going through it and I shut everyone out completely and I think when it comes to something like that it takes a lot longer to like 
you're like, oh, I want help. I want someone to help me, like, understand what I'm going through. And at yeah. that certain moment, I was, like, trying to understand and trying to see where I was at, but I, I just couldn't get it. And that was me for, like, four years of my life. And I think that was really hard to go through. And I think a lot of people who have gone through that can vouch for how when you're going through something that serious and going through something that difficult it's hard to be open about it and it's hard for you to start that conversation because of how close-minded like you said like how like this topic isn't that normal and isn't a conversation that people want to talk about especially in Malaysia and I think that it sh that should definitely change and that should definitely be something that we should work on yeah i think the thing is with parents especially and parents and mental health it's like it's a subject that i've been like approached on a lot because i've been pretty open about what my relationship with my parents is like with my mental health um it's not the same for everyone i think that what for at least for me and for a lot of parents that i've seen in kind of traditional cultures mainly asian culture given that's what we are but it's, I think it's hard for parents to talk about mental illness with their children because they see their children as like a reflection of themselves or a reflection of their ability to be a parent. But yeah. it took a long, it didn't, it took a while to get through to my parents that it wasn't their fault. And I, with mental health and with children, especially, it's like, when I was able to have like an open conversation about my parents and my mental health, it was years after it all started you know like I mm -hmm. pretty much struggled with my mental health since I was about nine ten since I was very young yeah. and you know it, it came in waves there were different things that I was going through different traumas different you know situations but mm -hmm. at the end of the day the only I only started getting help which was about two years ago I only started getting help when I was able to have that conversation with my parents because for me, at least, I needed that family support. Some people yeah. manage to get by with the support, sorry, <clears throat> with the support of their friends or the support of, you know, their chosen family. Mm -hmm. And all support is, you know, valid and needed. But I think in the, like, traditional structure of family, especially within Asia, it's, like, you know, there's that whole stereotype about Asian mentality about why, like the Kiasu mentality, you know, like why isn't my child perfect? Why yeah. aren't they the best? But that mentality, for me at least, translated into my life. It wasn't so much about my parents being like, what's wrong with you? It was more my mom being like, where did I go wrong as a parent? And yeah. it's heartbreaking because like I had to get through to her that she did nothing wrong. You know, because at the end of the day, like I'm her daughter, I'm her child. Yeah. And you know, I, I didn't want to live. And for a parent, that must be so heartbreaking. And for someone who's really close to their mom, like I am, like my mom is basically my best friend. It was yeah. still really hard having that conversation with her because there was still the questions of what did I do wrong as a parent? But it's just not that. And I think that's where a lot of parents are uncomfortable having that conversation because they don't want yeah. to talk about their parenting. At the end of the yeah. day, like, at the end of the day, but, you know, with parents, it's like, 
it takes a while to see them not as authority figures and just as people. Because growing up, like, my dad was my dad, my mom was my mom. They weren't people, they were authority figures. Yeah. Which is, I don't want to go to them for help because it's like, I didn't want to get in trouble. But, like, what was I going to get in trouble for? Being sad? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But I think with me, my issue lied with school and education because I had very obviously invisibly struggled with mental health. At this point, I was undiagnosed. Later, I would find out that I have BPD and a disassociative condition, which, you know, made sense to me. But when I was 14 with no help and no diagnosis, I just thought I was, you know, excuse my language, I just thought I was bashed and insane. And I thought it was just how it was going to be for the rest of my life. Yeah. And kids, I think kids who don't know any better can be very cruel. Because I when think, you're 14, yeah. like no one knows. like cancel culture and like with like this, like social media that we have right now and like, I guess just society in general, people can say really horrible things and they don't take accountability for it and they just throw these like words at you because like they might be feeling insecure and they might be feeling like, like, I guess like they're just trying to put everything on you, like all of their emotions that they're going through. And I think that's really unfair. And society has made it okay and that is something that we really need to like talk about and like be more open to like discussing because I think it's just really like heartbreaking to see someone like be like be like broken down into like because it was just really like for example, like I saw like one of my friends going through something really like heartbreaking and she was getting people like commenting on her pictures and just making her feel more insecure than she already felt. And I think that's something so like horrible and like the thing with social media is that people hide behind their phones and people like hide, they just like try and like put up a front of like perfection you could say and I think like from what you were saying it's like when growing up and when dealing with society like we're going to talk about Malaysian society because that's what we grew up in but like people here especially they're so judgmental <laughs> and I think it's hard for parents to see that because they all just want to see the best in other people and I guess it was it's hard for them to understand that like a ch their child could go through something like that yeah i think with malaysia especially well we're talking about kl here it's i think a lot of people most people are just products of their environment and i think with the international school circuit it's very much you know it has been very reminiscent of like classic american high school or classic british high school and i think the sad reality is that high school sucks for a lot of people and I unfortunately was one of those people that it sucked for I think kids oh I shouldn't say kids I'm not really I'm really not that old I'm like I'm 20 but I think like people still in school at least you know from what I remember kids are just I wouldn't say mean I think kids are just kind of absent-minded 
like I remember having comments passed at me when I was like 13, 14 years old and having people think that they didn't really have an impact and be like, yeah, whatever. But, you know, I was already in a state of mind that was very fragile. And for me, social media, as you'll know, was a very big part of my life. Still mm-hmm. is to an extent, but I can tell you firsthand that cancel culture, it's, it's difficult to talk about because, you know, I've been canceled and then I've been not canceled and then I've been relevant and then I've been irrelevant. You know, it's like the concept of being online is mm-hmm. very abstract. You know, for a while I was yeah. like being really was like the worst thing in the world to me but now I'm just like okay I'll go offline but it doesn't stop mm-hmm. those people from it. yeah I went viral on nine gag which arguably probably the worst place to go viral on the girls page when I was about 14 and that's not by choice <laughs> it was just around the time where I started modeling again and you know people were either screenshotting photos of me and posting them on 9gag or photographers were posting them on 9gag. But what came with that was a lot of, it wasn't necessarily negative, but it was a lot of unwanted attention. And that was really bad for my mental health. Because now that I know I have like a disassociative condition, that makes more sense to me because I think that virality that I had kind of experienced so young made me very out of touch with who I am. Because Mm -hmm. immediately there was a version of myself that was palatable for the internet and that, you know. Yeah. And then there was the me that was 14, a kid in high school, struggling, you know, all of that. And Mm -hmm. I had just moved away from home um, to go to boarding school. So I was, you know, struggling with all of that. Mm -hmm. And my brother was pretty much my only rock. But, you know, to this day, I still get really shitty comments. I still get really invasive shitty comments but I think the way I deal with that is like I know this sounds kind of bad but these people don't matter you know like these people yeah are so scared to say shit to your face that they'll say it online blah 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 it's all Mm -hmm. a lot of cowardice but you know with high school and kids and things like Ask FM and Curious Cat and all of that type of stuff like it's yeah like, you remember that era, right? When everyone was using Ask FM and mm-hmm. all those anonymous questions. And it was just, it was the breeding ground for cyberbullying. Yeah. Like, back now, I was like, how could I be 13 and expect to not get bullied, you know? Mm-hmm. But it was bad, you know? Like, I was in Penang at this time, so I was kind of away from all the KL. Yeah. Um, but I would see all these, like, terrible things on Ask FM. And it was like, people telling literal kids to go have sex or go suck dick or go kill themselves you know it was very and this was in the age I think our generation mm-hmm. had it weird like, I wouldn't say bad but it was weird because you we were in the generation of kind of shock culture humor like it was yeah. like and all these other youtubers I probably can't name right now because I don't watch them but it was like saying racial slurs and being mean was funny you know yeah, like, I think that's like such a bad thing. Yeah, where it's like people were tripping people or pushing people as part of like a viral meme, and it's like, 
Yeah. Like, kids will do stupid shit. You know, at the end of the day, like, culturally throughout history, kids do dumb things. But it was... And when Vine came through, and then Oscar Fam, Facebook became more of a thing, Instagram became more of a thing, our generation had the brim of it. We literally, throughout, like, most of our lives is when social media became... Yeah. Something that we all use now. And I think that was so hard growing up with, because... It's just like really unhealthy and a really toxic environment. Like there are obviously like some like pros to social media, like connectivity with like people like you haven't seen for ages, or like I guess you could say like sharing content sharing content with like your family and friends. But I think especially like growing up in the spotlight, like I have no idea how it is, but, like, you do. And I think, especially at, like, 13, 14, that's, like, such a vital age because, like, that's... You're entering your teenage years and, like, dealing with that from such a young age is, like, so... There's so much pressure. And I think people forget that, like, influencers, like, social media people, like, out there, like, for example, like, these, like, celebrities who are, like, viral, like... Um, verified on Instagram like for example like Mackenzie Ziegler and like Maddie Ziegler like they grew up in the spotlight and like there's so many people like giving their opinions and throwing hate at them yeah but how would you know how to process all of that at such a young age like you're still like figuring out who you are as a person and figuring out like what you want to do and how you see yourself and I think with this whole like culture and this whole society that we live in, it's really, really hard and really, really difficult for people to have this conversation and just like be open and upfront about how damaging it is to deal with something like this. Yeah, I think, um, I mean, in recent years, I guess people have realized that I've either stopped being active or I'm a lot less engaging than I used to be but for me it gets really hard to talk about because it, it's quite a scary thing though I think the years where it was like the most kind of activity was when I was like 15 16 I just moved back to KL this was like after my first initial kind of it was weird like I it wasn't anything that I had expected or intended it was like one day I woke up and I had like 10,000 people following me and I was like what the fuck is going on and for the most part in the beginning it was really sweet and supportive you know it's the internet a lot of the followers were going to be men I couldn't control that but it's like in the beginning it wasn't bad and then I started actually it wasn't even anything I did specifically, it was just circumstances. It was another one of these photos by a photographer who's quite well known in the Instagram community in KL. But that photo went absolutely like bonkers viral. And, you know, the most obvious reason being that you could, you couldn't really see, because I was wearing a t-shirt basically. I was very covered up, but you could see in the photo the outline of how big my boobs were you know and essentially what I'm trying to say is that what came from that is that 
the biggest for me at least the biggest detriment that came from all of the social media was i felt like i lost autonomy over my body because it all of a sudden it was like everyone had an opinion everyone was like yeah. your boobs are too big you're showing too much skin you're not showing enough skin like like you should lose weight you should gain weight you're too skinny you're too this you're too that and it's like all these people i didn't know having an opinion on my body and my autonomy and what i should mm-hmm. be and what i should do and what my body's purpose was for and the harassment that came with that like no child should have to deal with the amount of sexual harassment that i went through or any sexual harassment really but with the whole virus with the whole nine gag thing what happened was they wouldn't stop you know there was every couple days it'd be new nine gag posts it'd be new like absurdly kind of graphic caption regarding me and what they would want to do to me there was a lot of reference to rape or to kidnapping or to assault and it was yeah. i was 15 you know and i had all these like literal adult men on the internet being like i'm gonna rape her and that made my anxiety so much worse because i had already yeah. been a really kid, and now it's like i didn't even want to leave the house mm-hmm. and i think people forget that anyone you see is a real person like whether it's online or in media or on the street or whatever it's just like these are people with lives and feelings and emotions and autonomy and these are people but it's Mm -hmm. easy when you see them online it's like oh haha blah 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 she's rihanna a vet she's not a real person and that's why i would always have this conversation with people i know it's like where do i draw the line between rihanna a vet and rihanna adams because Brianna Adams is fucking terrified of leaving her house. Like, there were days I couldn't sleep, and it was terrifying, you know? It's terrifying for my parents. I'd have people show up at my gig. I'd have people stalk me, show up at clubs I was at, show up at places I was eating. And because Malaysia is so small, mm-hmm. that was something that people could just do. And that's not to say that I was, like, an A-list celebrity or anything. And that's yeah. kind of the concern for me it was like it's it was very much like what i have like forty thousand, let's say but i wouldn't consider that famous you know i'm like i'm an instagram yeah. personality i guess question mark like i have followers <laughs> yeah but it's like some people with more followers they have it's like more people who feel like they're entitled to an opinion Mm-hmm. And when you have so many voices being like, listen to me, my opinion matters about your life. It it gets frustrating, I think. You become very disillusioned with other people because you're just like, well, yeah. fuck it, I guess. I think yeah. there's a lot of the questions that like people were asking you on like Instagram were like mainly to do with like mental health. And I think in general like there's like a lot of things that like you can cover there's there's a lot of things you can talk about when it comes to this but like I think when it comes to like professional advice like you can only give it to your experience with it like personal like experience and like how you dealt with it and I think people deal with things in their own ways but like obviously like everyone's entitled to their own opinion everyone's entitled to give their own experiences but I think what have people have to take from this like podcast is that like when it comes to having a real conversation when it comes to these certain topics that we're talking about it's 
these are just the beginning. These are just like some things that like contribute to mental health. These are some things that like are happening in the world. And the fact that people are touching on some of these things, like it's amazing because like people can start a conversation, people can open that like gate, like people like discussing it and people like actually trying to like change the way that society is really. And I think one of the, so one of the questions was, how would you cope um, with depression? Like, how would you avoid it? How would you? I think a lot of the time people ask me questions regarding kind of fix-alls. Like, how do I stop being depressed? How do I stop being anxious? Blah, 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 blah. Like, how do I stop? And I think that, again, with mental health, mental health isn't just, like, one thing. It's, like, mm -hmm. you can't just help and then expect to know everything about yeah, the exactly. human biology. You know, it's, like, when you talk about, you talk about emotional dispositions. That's, like, a mm -hmm. basic You talk about emotions. You talk about phases. You talk about trauma. You talk about PTSD. You talk about things that are likely to happen in your life that you'll most probably have to deal with. I think at any point, most people at any point in their life will have dealt with anxiety or with depression. Yeah. But I think there's this misconception that if you're mentally struggling, then you're immediately mentally ill. Like it's very mm -hmm. zero to one. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think that's what freaks people out, especially in Asia, because it's like, I don't want to immediately be considered mentally ill. You know, I have no problem with that label because for me, that's just the reality. Like what I, what I have with BPD and DID, it's an ongoing personality disorder that I have to get long-term therapy for. But mm -hmm. that's kind of like the more severe cases when you're talking about yeah. mental health. And mm -hmm. I think, you know, it needs to be divided into levels so it's not so intimidating and scary to talk about. Yeah. And... Again, with people asking, like, how do I deal with depression or how do I deal with anxiety? It's all personal and it's all dependent on what you think, what you find is best for you. Yeah, I find that myself, when I'm going through a depressive episode, I need affection and I need affirmation. Like, that's just me. Some people mm -hmm. need to be left alone. So it's, again, it's very personal and it's about figuring out what's best for you. Yeah. But I would be I would be wary to like immediately self-diagnose or be like, I'm depressed or I'm anxious. It's like, what am I feeling at this moment? Is it an emotion? Is it, you know, more than that? Yeah. yeah. So I don't know. I think with the questions that I am usually asked around about mental health, a lot of them are really fundamental. It's, you know, it's, how do you help a friend with depression? How do you kind of acknowledge signs of depression? And it's a lot of talk about depression and anxiety, which I'm happy to talk about, but I think there is, we need to look beyond that and realize mm -hmm. that there are more, like depression and anxiety is very much encompassed in most mental illnesses. Mm -hmm. um, I was told I was bipolar at like 13 years old. I wasn't. You know, but it was that because that wasn't like the terminology of what people knew. Mm -hmm. It was like, well, she's not depressed. She's not anxious. She's not, you know, anything that we've already know. So let's just say she's bipolar. And I'm like, make, like, you know, yeah. 
But I think it's about expanding kind of that realm of knowledge, especially within Asia. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I've had like psychiatrists and counselors be like, is this because you're not that religious? Like it's always trying to find for what my experience was in growing up in Malaysia, it was always trying to find an end all answer that would just fix everything. So it's like, Oh, well you're depressed because dot, 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 you're not religious or dot, 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 you're vegan. You know, it was just trying to find stupid, like trying to compartmentalize, but not in the way that you're dealing with it. It's like, okay, I'm going to pigeonhole you to this one thing so that we don't have to deal with it ever. Right. I feel like that's the worst part about Malaysia. They, like to compartmentalize and they like to say you were feeling this way because this and it's just like a one-word answer and it's never like a conversation it's just like they just like talk at you and you have to like I think at a young age you like try and take that in and just be like okay because like obviously you don't understand what you're going through and you like are trying to like figure out like what's happening and I think that's what's really difficult especially like with the like generation that we came from I think it's such a hard topic to discuss and I think to be very general about it is just unfair because like like you said like people either like go intent or just like don't think it's that serious at all it's either like you're so depressed like you have depression or it's like you're just sad and you say it i think again i think like we keep talking about malaysia because this is what we know this is what we've experienced for a lot of cultures and just not even cultures just people i think a lot of us most of us are scared of the unknown and we want answers because when we have answers at least we think we have clarity but that's not really the case Mm -hmm. for me at least it was I can't like for me finding the root cause is not what I need for me it's mm-hmm. just learning about coping with my day-to-day yeah. coping with you know and I think there's a misconception in what people need I think people just need to have people to talk to I think mm-hmm. the idea of going to a psychiatrist or a psychologist it's very intense and it's like admitting that something is wrong and I think a lot of people have an issue with that a lot of people don't want to admit that they're struggling mentally adults especially so you know it's trying to pigeonhole people maybe it comes from ignorance maybe it comes from naivety or maybe it just comes from fear like for the longest time like I didn't want to know why I was like the way I am Mm -hmm. um and I was like I'm spacey you know like I I'm lazy I'm tired I'm spacey and it was like a lot of making excuses and it was nice to feel validated when it was like you have borderline personality disorder and you also disassociate so it's like oh holy shit like I'm not like these are things we can deal with I'm not just gonna be struggling forever um I think like when you finally like figure out figured out you had and like what you were going through it was like I can accept that like you're like okay I finally understand like what like what this console struggle has been like for me and like what this is because you know like 
now I have the support system to help me through it. Now I have resources to like go through this like yeah. like mental like state. Yeah, I think I think just having someone there and having someone to talk things out with who's maybe not necessarily related to you is for me it was a good thing. I loved my high school counselor. She was great. Um but I just needed having someone to talk to. Yeah. And I think in the conversation regarding mental health, it's not so, it's a lot about what can I do for myself, but it's also what can I do for others? Like, mm-hmm. you know, I struggle with mental illnesses, but so do a lot of my friends. You know? And what can I do to be there for them that would also be, you know, not detrimental to me? Because I think some people do jeopardize their own mental health and their own kind of stability by trying to help other people. I've done that. My friends have done that for me. It's it's easy to lose yourself when you're trying to, f- I wouldn't say fix, but when you're trying to support someone else. Mm-hmm. It, you kind of lose yourself from becoming the caretaker that it's yeah. easy to, to not take care of yourself. Um, but I think for me, something that I found to be really detrimental when I was, you know, on the times where I'm having a bad one with mental illness, it's that I, I do tend to become very just kind of absent. And that's how I, that's a toxic thing that I'm trying to deal with, but it is just one of the ways that I cope. I just kind of go offline or I just disappear for like a while. Cause I find that that helps me ground myself when I'm not online as much. Yeah. But that's completely personal. Like, I love social media. I love the internet. Like, I love, I love the culture of digital media. Like, I really do. It's basically my degree. That's how much I find it fascinating. But it doesn't mean that it's necessarily good for us all the time. I think us especially, like, our, our generation and younger have grown up in a time where the internet is everywhere. You know, I remember yeah. being a kid internet was first the thing and I was playing Club Penguin and I was like holy shit this is amazing now I use that for like literally everything it's mm-hmm. like on my on my phone there's like TikTok Insta Twitter YouTube blah 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 and it's like all these social media platforms just readily accessible when I was when I was set, like I have my cousins on TikTok and they're like what 13 14 I've seen seven-year-olds on TikTok five years old on TikTok like anyone can be on what but that for me is kind of scary because mm-hmm. you know, the internet's kind of an intense place. Kind of whack. Yeah. <laughs> kind of whack. It's just stressful. I think like one of the questions that like didn't really like necessarily like, stood out to me, but it just caught my attention because it's like so bizarre for someone to say this. Um, so someone asked, um, how can you tell if someone has mental, mental health or just faking it for attention? Yeah, I saw that question. Uh, yeah, I, no hate to the person who sent this question, but I, excuse my language, fucking hate this question because this was basically the bane of my existence for the years in which I was in boarding school. So let me explain. <laughs> When 
you think someone is faking mental illness, it is basically devalidating what they're feeling. Whether or not it's a long-term mental illness or not, they're still feeling some type of way. And that needs to be acknowledged. Culture of being like, oh, they're faking it or they're doing it for attention is Mm -hmm. so outdated because I think as times have proved, everyone can struggle with their mental health. Some people worse than others. And I think it's this mentality that makes it so hard for children to get help in schools. Mm-hmm. I started struggling very severely, and I would say very violently with my mental health when I was 13. Mm-hmm. I was in boarding school at this point, and I wasn't around my parents. And all my teachers were quite young, and my peers didn't really understand. I didn't really wasn't really that close to anyone. And it was like, oh, she's doing these things for attention. And maybe if I had gotten the help that I needed when I was 13, I wouldn't be where I, like, I wouldn't still be struggling with the same things I was struggling with as a kid. But it's like, I would say for mental illness, always just give them the benefit for the doubt. Like, what do you have to lose by believing someone is struggling? Yeah. I think people are so quick to devalidate mental health. And for me, my situation was, she can't be depressed. She's got Instagram followers. Or she, she can't. She's like in a stable nuclear family. Like it's it was very about trying to debunk other people's struggles yeah. in order to them seem like a bad person. And this still happens today. Like I'm 28. Last year I had a group of friends who basically tried to debunk the fact that I had borderline and instead were going around telling people that I was faking it and that I had NPD and that I was a narcissist and a sociopath and all this shit and it's like to know that already someone already struggles with their mental health and stability and then to go around and be like yeah they're fucking crazy they're a crazy bitch and it's like dude we're adults yeah grow up like you think I would fake this like I have bills to pay I've had so many people say like you're faking it or something like that but like I feel like that is such a horrible thing to to even say to someone and you're literally making them feel like they're really like worthless and whatever they're saying is like completely like wrong and like how they're feeling is like unvalidated and like not worth anything and I think it's such a horrible thing to say because I think people use that term so loosely and they use it so often and I think it's just like a horrible mindset to have and it's a horrible thing to like even like think about like for me like this so a couple of months ago I had um this experience at uni and this person who was like um who I don't really get along with was like um, posting stuff and it encouraged someone to do something and I'm not really gonna like say what happened but like that person who created that attention was like you faked that like why are you faking it for attention why are you saying that why are you making stuff up but like I think like that's such a horrible thing to like put against someone because it makes them feel like why would I like why would I make this whole thing up like why would I do something like why would I say something if it was like 
you know, like to create some like sort of ruckus. And I think that's such an unfair like thing to say. And like when I saw this question and when you sent it to me, I was like, I don't even know how to like talk about this. I don't even know how to bring this up because it's like such like a hard question and it's like a really like infuriating one as well. It's, I think the question may have came from like a place of naivety because I do have friends also who are like, how do I know what a mentally ill person looks like? Like you don't, you know, they're just regular people mm-hmm. living. Yeah. But you know, whether that question came from a place of naivety or like malice, it's like, it stays the same. This is a thing that is very prevalent, especially with online culture. It's like, you know, spreading things and, Mm-hmm. it's just it's frustrating because you th- you would think as a society we've progressed past the yeah. need to make it feel bad but it you know it's just not the case like a lot of people mm-hmm. get off of making it feel bad and that's just the sad reality of it all and with asking someone whether or not they're faking it or like claiming that someone's faking it I think it's probably the most detrimental thing you can do because they start questioning their own sanity and I mm-hmm. You know, I for fucking forever. I've been nearly expelled because of my mental health. Like that mm-hmm. is so stupid as well. But it's like they just didn't want to deal with it. You know, I was in boarding school. I was struggling a lot, and I was, you know, just in a bad place. And yeah. my teacher was like, "I should just leave then." And I was like, oh, "I want a scholarship. I kind of can't." Leave. No one wants to deal with it. But it was because this teacher was making me feel like I was faking it or he was devalidating what I was going through because this was right after I got out of a really toxic relationship and I was also, you know, I was dealing with the death of a friend um, who wasn't that much older than me. And when you're 15 dealing with, you know, death, it's hard. And then I kind of just lost it because I had so many people been like, She's doing it for attention, blah, blah, blah. Like, maybe I need the attention, you know? Maybe I need someone to, like, come tell me that everything is okay because I didn't think it was going to be. And a lot of people don't. Like, for you, not you, but, like, for someone to make someone question their mental health and their sanity, I think that is one of the lowest things you can do because they will start questioning their sanity. I can tell you that from experience. Mm-hmm. I was told so many times that I wasn't actually struggling or that I was doing it for attention or that I was a bad person, you know? It's like when you're yeah. told something so much, you believe it. So for a while, it's like, I am taking mental illness. Like, I don't need help. So I stopped taking my meds. I am, I definitely need my meds. I definitely am struggling with something and I'm not ashamed of it. I think, again, there's mm-hmm. this discourse about mental illness is that it's a dirty secret that you're meant to hide and be ashamed. Yeah. I'm not, you know, it's, it's there, it's present. I can't get rid of it. Mm-hmm. So I'm just going to deal with it. Mm-hmm. But I think this mentality is very present in, like, yeah. people don't know enough about mental health. It's like, why would you fake something like that? Yeah, exactly. You know? And then again, was, um, yeah, sorry, what were you saying? <laughs> well, like, what I'm trying to say is that some people fake cold, some people fake, like, headaches, blah, blah, blah. Maybe there yeah. are circumstances 
like being depressed, but I wouldn't say that that's a common thing. I feel like people like fake, obviously like sometimes people want to skive school and they're like, oh, I'm sick or like <laughs> I've got the flu or like, I have, like I'm, I'm coughing, like when they're actually not. And you could say someone's faking that, but I don't think someone can say like you're fake, you're faking like a certain state that you're in, a, f- a feeling. And I think, I really hope this person um, doesn't take what we've said as like an attack towards him. It's just like, we're like trying to like answer the we're question. Trying to unpack the stigma surrounding Yeah, exactly. I'm trying to like directly. Yeah. I think this is what people like find really hard. And I think like with the way that society is in general, like we tend to like take things the wrong way. And I think, I really hope, yeah, I, let's just like end, end that question. <laughs> um, another question was um, toxic relationships and like how to unlove someone. quarantine yeah I think this is like based on quarantine and I think like coping mechanisms for like isolation breakups toxic relationships yeah I think I don't know I feel (laughs) for me relationships are not my forte unfortunately I have like I don't really how do I say this I like love. I like relationships, yeah. but I like I've been in toxic relationships. I've been in a very toxic relationship, which was my first one. But it's again, it's also personal and it's also like mm-hmm. individual. I don't do know what your situation like, is. Do you feel like a lot of people keep asking you questions that like are really personal and people think that like like obviously like you have like a lot like a large following but like it doesn't mean that you are you want to talk about certain things and I think there comes like limits and like boundaries and do you think like sometimes like people cross that because they think that oh her her account's public her account is so open and I should be able she should be able to say like what she wants to say it's yeah it's it's this culture of being super invasive like I've made it a point to be quite open about things and like I don't mind talking about things and I don't mind discussing and open opening the floor to discussion and facilitating mm-hmm. this conversation but it's like I I don't have the mental capacity to be your therapist like I don't have the mental capacity to constantly be giving you advice when like I like I'm I'm still like I'm on the border of being like a kid in an adult like I'm still trying to figure my shit out yeah but because I think with social media and online presence it can become quite like omnipotent like I'm not Mm -hmm. so much a person as much as this is a persona so people don't really think about me they think about asking my persona a question because I've made it okay and I've made it comfortable to have those kind of conversations but it's like I'll have people asking really specific questions about my mental health and my relationships and my parents and my family. And 
we know each other personally so you know my parents and you know my family so mm-hmm. like i'm more than happy to talk about them but it's like i i don't know I mean, for, like personally like for friends obviously like if you know them personally then of course like it's fine to talk to them about it and like how close you are in general but i think like what's hard like is getting these questions from people that you don't know and they're expecting you to give you a direct answer and then when you don't give that answer they're like oh she didn't ask my question and then it brings up the basically the quantum of hate and I think that's really unfair to put on someone who is putting like you had like unwanted attention from a young age and then you have to like keep this like persona like up and like I think like it's really hard because it's there's so much pressure and like I've talked to you about pressure like this is like incredibly like a high pressure situation for you personally like I think for anyone who's like grown up in the spotlight and anyone who's like had like a social media presence it's a lot of pressure to also be happy but to give support to those people who support you I think the biggest thing I needed to realize for myself is was taking a step back. I think for a really long time, I was running from dealing with my own mental health by trying to help others. And, you know, I love being there for other people. Like I love, like I love nurturing people. It's very much in my nature, I guess. But, you know, it's really easy to forget to take care of yourself when you're constantly Mm -hmm. looking out for other people to a point where it wasn't the fault of anyone but my own. It wasn't like I was losing myself and taking care of people because of them. It was because of me. It was because I didn't want to deal with my own shit. So I just dealt with yeah. people. But yeah, it's like with, Inst- <laughs> with social media, right? I would say I'm not as relevant as I used to be or at all, which I honestly think is fine because I think I'm in a point in my life where I just need to focus on other things. Like, I love creating content. I love interacting with people. But the culture of entitlement with social media and with, you know, content creators and followers, it's like, I think it came to the point where I had to realize that no one is entitled to my time unless I've arranged it, I've... You know, this is a formal setting and I've promised to give you my time. Like, no one else is entitled to my energy or my time. Exactly, yeah. I mean it to be so. And I used to get mm-hmm. so, so sought up. I used to get so caught up with this idea of pleasing the audience or pleasing my followers or just pleasing people. I just wanted to be a people pleaser. I wanted everyone to like me. And that's just not the reality. And I think yeah. for me growing up, was realizing that not everyone's going to like me and that's very much okay. Mm-hmm. Because when I was younger and when I was struggling with, you know, BPD, depression, all of this, it was like, I just wanted to be liked. I wanted friends. And I think I was compromising healing in order to achieve that. And I also just wasn't a very likable person because I wasn't myself. Mm-hmm. It was just kind of this forced persona of me trying to act happy when I just really wasn't. Yeah. But... I don't know. I think just looking back, I would, I'm 
you know, I'm grateful for the support that I have and I had, but I, you know, I would have liked it to have been taken more seriously when I was younger. I started very young. I was a very anxious kid and I didn't understand when being anxious meant as a kid. Looking back now and all those kind of like heightened emotions and paranoia and fear that I felt, I'm like, oh shit, that was anxiety. But no one was telling me what anxiety was when I was a kid. So I just thought I was mm-hmm. bad or broken or wrong. Yeah. Um, and teachers made me feel that way as well because it was like, if I was really quiet or really just not disruptive, it was just like when I would get called out for my behavior, it wasn't like, why are you acting this way? It's just like, stop mm-hmm. acting this way. You're in trouble. Yeah. But it wasn't like, it was sometimes I'd be acting out because I was really just off it you know like I was not mm-hmm. okay yeah. but it was like oh she's a bad she's a bad kid yeah so it was yeah. it was a lot of reducing mental struggle to bad behavior and conflating the two just made it really hard for me to get help mm-hmm. and it was like my parents weren't there you know I was in boarding school so their only kind of understanding of how I was feeling away yeah. from home yeah. was through these teachers who were also like, yeah, whatever. She's just, you know, quiet. And mm-hmm. it was like, well, maybe there needs to be a greater emphasis on kind of emotional care with teachers, especially when you're fucking living with them. It, yeah. Boarding school is like a very different environment. And I think people who haven't really experienced it, have, they, they don't really know the they know the extent of what you go through because you're living with these people you see them every single day it's literally like a constant sleepover a constant cycle of like just like your life in general and I think being in boarding school is an experience like can be a good can be a bad experience but I think, I think that's boarding, helped you become the person you are today and it's helped you yeah. become like a lot stronger. It's, I think having a conversation about boarding school with other people who have been to boarding school is very interesting because it's kind of this shared understanding. When yeah. you live in school, you cannot escape it. You know, when yeah. all the shit you think you go through during the day, you can't, you can't go, go home. Anywhere. I used to have teachers show up to boarding and be like, where's your work when I was going through a depressive episode? I'd just be like, sorry, dude, I don't know what to tell you. It's not here. Like, I can't. I can't. There was this girl. The bird just flew next to my window. Anyway, um, this girl who kind of made it her mission to get people to hate me, and she was successful, to say the least. But at the same time, I think I was at a point in my life where I didn't really care. Like, a lot of the mental mm-hmm. struggles that I was, like, harboring wasn't really from being bullied. It was from other shit that's happened in my life. Yeah. So at that point, I was just like, fuck it, whatever. But there was a time where she posted something on Instagram that was very clearly targeted at me, and everyone knew it was because, like, it was just very obvious. But because we lived in boarding school together, she then sat outside my door right after she posted it. And it's You're like, joking. she did that? 
Yeah, but that's just the reality of like a lot of boarding schools. Like if there's someone who doesn't mm-hmm. like you during the day, probability is they won't like you at night either and they will try mm-hmm. and make a point. Yeah. Like we had a common cooking area and every time I would show up, they would get really quiet and like just start talking shit. And like obviously looking back now, it's funny because it's like petty mm-hmm. and I'm now like friends again with like half these people. But at the time it was like, I was really yeah lonely. And mm-hmm. it was, I felt like no one was on my side, aside from my parents, yeah. obviously. But yeah, it's, it sucks when you're living in school and this place where you have to learn, eat, sleep, mm-hmm. do all that you don't feel safe. Especially and during the weekends as well. Like it's, it's like people have to get like, it's never ending. It's, you're there for like, until yeah, it's, the holidays and it's like, you basically not like I don't want to say trapped, but you're close in that environment until your parents get you home <laughs> for the holidays yeah. and get you home for those like short breaks. Yeah, I was lucky enough that when I was going through all this, I was actually in KL, so my boarding school was in Putrajaya, which isn't that far, so I could actually yeah. come home for the week. But when I was living in Penang, I was just there. But I had my yeah. brother, so I was. <laughs> But it's, it's just, I think for me, looking back, if I had greater pastoral care, I would have probably done a lot better. Mm-hmm. Like, because yeah. my boarding teacher at my school told me to leave. He was like, maybe you should just go. Instead of fixing, or he basically said I was outnumbered. There was more of them than there were of me. So instead of dealing with it, just run away. And that pissed off my family and me more than anything. You know, it, it just, mm-hmm. don't be someone whose literal role is to take care of children if you can't take care of children. Exactly. I mean, in boarding school, it's like an experience that like, and that's, like, for me, when I was in that environment, it was, like, really hard because I think, first, you're put away from your family. You're in this environment with, like, these kids who are the same age as you, a couple of years older than you, a couple of years younger than you. And, like, you're living among, like, amongst each other and you're, like, trying to, like, normalise the situation. And I think when I was in that school there was like one thing and like there was a rumor spread around about me like having this like this like illness or like having like a disease and these girls in my boarding house like literally like sat across the room from me and like I felt like so like I was shocked at like someone like thinking that that was okay to do to another person but at the same time, I was like, why is this happening? Like, I don't understand. And then, like, after that year, and then when I moved into sixth form, that made it even more difficult for me to get used to. Yeah. Sorry. Sorry, I have to meet someone in, like, half an hour, though, so. so. Um, yeah, it's... It's strange, you know, because 
when you live with people, they see everything. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I had a conversation with my brother about this recently, actually, because we both went to the same school. He was in sixth form. I was in my GCSEs. Uh, my brother and I, my brother's always been supportive, but he's quite, he's not the most emotional person, mm-hmm. which, you know, he shows his love in his own way, but he was basically the only person I had when I kind of, I think the crunch of my mental illnesses first started. But we were talking about this the other day. It's the realization that um, teachers are human, you know? It's, it's this idea that, oh, these are also people. And I guess trigger warning before I talk about this, but um, once my boarding teacher walked in on me and I was very obviously not okay, and uh, self-harm was involved. And instead of saying anything, she just left, you know. But then again, I think about it. She was like, what, 24, had just graduated, took this job in Malaysia, and is now seeing a 13-year-old doing this. Like, I wouldn't know how to deal with it either. Like, I, like, I don't know what I would say. But again, it comes down yeah. to the question of we don't know how to have these conversations. Mm-hmm. Like, even I now, like, I, I like to think that I'm generally okay with talking with other people and being helpful to them, but it's, like, I, like, I'm still not super comfortable having these conversations, and I think that's something we need to work on, like, as people. Because, mm-hmm. again, when you're, when you're taking a job or you have to take care of children, but you don't really know how to take care of children, it's a... Yeah it becomes harder for them I was talking about it with Fazana and then Fazana was like saying that um most of the teachers in boarding schools and private schools most of them don't even have a degree so most of them get hired based on like what they got for GCSEs what they got for their like main exams but they weren't actually like hired based on like their knowledge and like capacity of like pastoral care or like teaching in general and I think that's like such a bad thing to do and I think that's so like horrible because it like it just proves to show like how like in education there are people who don't really know what they're doing and don't really know yeah I think situations it's hard because some some schools don't have the ability to facilitate kind of quote unquote good teachers or teachers that have been trained but it's like it's more just about us as people as a society having that conversation you know it's if it was okay to talk to a teacher and be like hey I think I'm kind of depressed what do I do and instead of being like oh I don't deal with that talk to the counselor I just think it should be something that everyone should be able to talk about you know instead of deflecting it yeah I feel like that's like really common especially like when you're like 13, 14, and like, especially in uni, because like, I was talking to my personal tutor and then he was like, I was about to like, tell him like what I was going through, like with like, someone that I hadn't gotten along with. And like, he was like, that's not my business. That's the counselor, like you can go to them. You can go to the wellness like team. And I was just like, so you're my personal tutor, but you don't want to actually like, be like a personal tutor, if you get what I mean, because like, I don't know like I find that like 
hard to fathom and I find that really weird. <laughs> yeah, I think it's it's with like mental health, everyone thinks not everyone, but I think there's this idea that every conversation about mental health has to be emotional and intense and mm-hmm. groundbreaking. But it's like dude, I just want to talk about some shit that I'm going through. Like it's yeah, it doesn't exactly. mean I have like I, it's just that it's like I think with a lot of Asian culture it's like not wanting to burden our elders as well and it's like yeah like I don't want to like for a really long time as a kid I didn't want to talk to my parents about it because it's like I thought I was disappointing them so I tried to yeah. talk to my parents. they weren't really all that much help except for mm-hmm. my tutor shout out her I loved her my counselor she's great um but yeah it's it's the refusal to have these conversations because they're too hard it's what makes them harder to talk about mm-hmm. it's like you don't want to talk about it because it's uncomfortable it's like yeah well that's why i need someone to talk to about it but, yeah. yeah i think this is gonna be the last question but like someone was like um well she um he was like how asian families stigmatize mental health issues like i think we've covered like most of it but like i think they just um especially for like parents and that older generation like they tend to put the blame on themselves and they always think that it's their fault if something happens like you said it's like they're looking at you like you're they're your reflection of them you're literally they're like child they made you you know like it's like they will feel disappointed in themselves if something were to happen to you more than if something were to happen to them because you're their number one priority and i think with this particular topic it's very broad and it's a very big community of like people who are going through like states and i think when it comes to how families stigmatize issues like they're not stigmatizing issues like I know like some like some people like might deal with like families who like aren't accepting but like there are also like other people who don't like don't understand it and I think that is like one of the reasons why they might stigmatize it because they don't understand what it is they don't understand how to handle it they don't understand what to do I think as well, like another, my mom and I, I'm, I'm sure you know, my mom and I are very, very close, but it wasn't until recently that we were able to talk about mental health very openly and be able to talk about like her relationship with mental health and her relationship with me as a mom and why it was so hard to have that conversation. And you know, for a lot of people in our generation and a lot of our moms, you know, grew up in kampongs or didn't have the privileges that they have. So it's like mental health was never something that they had to think about. You know, it was, it was survivalist all the time. It was about how do you sustain yourself? Life was about sustainability, you know? So these two people, like my parents have worked very hard to give their children great quality of life somehow I'm not happy you know and I guess for parents it's like what did I do that wasn't good enough and for kids it's like I don't want to disappoint them I don't want them to think that they didn't they weren't good enough but you know parental relationships and mental health it's very you know 
it varies yeah. from person to person. People don't yeah. have the greatest relationship with their parents, um, Asian culture or not. But I think it, there's just been an absence of this conversation from our culture, maybe for a lack of necessity for it. And I think there is a necessity for it, but growing up, like our parents' generation, mm-hmm. there wasn't. Same with my dad, you know, like my dad, self-made man from a fishing village in West Australia. It's again, like, I didn't have all the hardships my parents went through. So I think for them, it's very hard to understand why I was struggling. But I think once I was able to communicate that to them, they would understand. But I think for a lot of parents, especially in parents and cultures that are built on hardship and with Asian cultures, family structures are very important. Mm-hmm. For the most part, that's yeah. major general. But it's like honor, respect, family. It's mm-hmm. there. There's a fear amongst Asian families of being like, of seeing mental health as a type of failure. Mm-hmm. Like it's like you can't be mentally ill and successful. Like those aren't synonymous with each other. Mm-hmm. But you can, you know, just put that out there. It's very much possible. But yeah. I think because there has been an absence of this conversation and because with a lot of cultures and with family tr- structures being so important, we see our children and our, our parents as a reflections of ourselves and our cultures, which is why it becomes so hard to kind of break that mm-hmm. kind of, you know what I'm trying to say? Yeah. Know, that yeah. Kind of, you can't challenge, it's very hard to just challenge that structure without mm-hmm. it being uncomfortable. You know? Like as yeah. much as you love your parents, if they're not comfortable talking about it, you have to get uncomfortable. You have to challenge that structure. Mm. It's just easier said than done, I guess. Yeah. I think that's, yeah, I think we've covered so much. So, yeah, thank you for being a part of the podcast. 